Tech Podcast. Today we're with Chad Kircher, the Vice President of Content for EV Pulse. Did I get that correct, Chad? Uh, you did, yes. Hello. Awesome. Yeah, so Chad is going to be chatting EVs with me today. Um, Tim Healy, the, the Managing Editor of The Truth About Cars, and we're going to be talking about Dodge Hornet, Ford losing a whole bunch of money in the EV space, Hummer, and anything else EV-related that comes up in our conversation over the next 45 minutes to an hour. So, Chad, I understand that you, like myself, were just recently in North Carolina to drive the Dodge Hornet. And the big news there is that while one version of the car is internal combustion, the the upper trim, the, the more expensive vehicle, and the one that Dodge is really kind of pushing is the RT, which is a plug-in hybrid. And I want to hear your thoughts about the car before I before I give you mine. Yeah, of course. Um, first off, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, thanks for coming on. The Dodge's position, the Hornets, uh, this is their first new car in 10 years, uh, which is seems like a long time, but then like in Dodge world, is it? Because the Charger and Challenger platforms Old enough are... to drink, that platform. Yeah. Is. So um, this is actually potentially really exciting. Now, of course, your more savvy listeners will know that the Hornet is based on the same platform as the Alfa Romeo Tenale. Um, so, and in the Tenali sold in the U.S. when it gets here will be also all-wheel drive only and a plug-in hybrid. So, going back to the Dodge, um, yes, as you mentioned, the RT version, which is the quote-unquote performance version, um, is plug-in hybrid only. So, uh, that gives it the best-in-class horsepower and best-in-class, plus, best-in-class horsepower and torque, uh, an electric-only range of about 30 miles, um, and a decent overall fuel economy when you're not uh running entirely on electricity um some of the cool things it does uh it has independent rear suspension it uh, comes with a michigan michelin pilot sport uh all seasons so a decent set of all season tires and i don't know it's it's not the not a completely unassuming compact crossover it sort of sits in between like hrv and crv i feel like it's a little bit smaller than the crv but it does feel a little bit bigger than the HRV. Uh, the hybrid version comes with a six-speed automatic, which feels a little bit dated, but because it's basically a rebadged, slightly tuned Alfa Romeo, there's some cool slash quirky Italianness to it. Uh, the shift paddles, for example, are mounted on the steering column, and they're big and they're metal, and they feel like they're uh, very same, Italian. Yes. Yeah, and it feels like they're straight out of maybe even the Ferrari parts bin. I know Alfa Romeo likes to use that sort of stuff in that case. So uh, there's some cool stuff there. New tech, new infotainment, new all of that stuff. If you've driven a modern-ish or have talked about a modern a Stellantis product, a lot of that will feel normal or um, mm-hmm. feel familiar. But yeah, it's it's. I thought it was a good driving car. I mean, just to kind of get into that, I thought it was a good driving car. I don't know if it had as much fizz as I would like. So um, I thought I thought the car was competent in the corners. We drove kind of a fairly twisty uh, back road at one point. Uh, it, it's definitely competent over bumps and stuff like that. And for what most people are going to use the car for, uh, I think it, I think it drives perfectly well. Uh, it's the it, while it's not a direct competitor. I feel like sort of like the pinnacle of what a compact crossover can be in terms of performance is something like a Kona N mm-hmm. and that car just oozes personality. Um, it might be psychotic personality. It might be unhinged personality, but it's personality. And I, I felt like the RT version of the Hornet was missing a bit of that. I don't know how you feel on that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you my take in just a minute, but sure. Keep going. Yeah, and then we saw something. Um, I don't remember the exact date I could talk about it or when this is going to air, but um, there is a possibility maybe they're going to put a little more personality into it, but it's, I don't know. That's what I feel like was lacking. It was lacking a bit of a fizz. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I felt it was lacking, and, and I should parse this carefully. So I drove the RT in the morning and the GT in the afternoon, and I didn't have a chance to drive the GT on the really twisty roads, but I did I did it the RT. I agree with you, the RT handled fairly well, particularly for a crossover. I mean, there is a little bit of body roll, which you kind of expect about um, being up a little higher off the ground. But I, I felt for something that has 383 pound-feet of torque, it didn't feel particularly super fast. And I don't know if it's just a bit heavy or if it's just a bit I, the, way the, I, the way the hybrid works. I think the transmission 
is that could be it too. a lot to blame there. Um, yeah. we, one thing I didn't mention, and we really should mention now since we're talking about acceleration, is there is a feature Dodge calls Power Shot, Power Shot, mm-hmm. which is a push to pass boost button, however you want to call it. Um, it's a weird way to activate it because you got to pull both shift paddles back. Uh, you got to plan ahead a little bit. Yeah, yeah you got to plan a little bit ahead on it. But it gives you 15 seconds with 30 more horsepower. And I guess I could tell a difference, but I couldn't tell a huge difference. I Same. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell a huge difference either. What yeah, I've yeah. noticed... Okay, I mean, I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. What I was just going to say is what I've noticed is, regardless of whether you're using the power shot feature or not, um, at certain RPM, certain speed, the car feels very quick. And then other areas of driving it just doesn't so yeah yeah i i kind of got that same sense um and i mean the only other plug-in hybrid that sort of is in the segment that i didn't really make anymore which is the cross track and right that really wasn't any good so (laughs) i mean in a a world of zero competition i think this car is pretty good and i don't think it's bad bad but um i think it could have been a little bit more entertaining yeah, and I was going to say, I actually felt the GT was a little more responsive, a little more light on its feet, um, even though I didn't push it in the, in the twisty roads. And what I did appreciate, so I was talking to the, the, the Dodge folks, and they kept saying that the Mazda CX-5 was the benchmark. They, they felt it was the only other performance crossover. Like you said, the Kona N is, is a great vehicle, but the Kona N's a little smaller, mm-hmm. whereas the CX-5 is probably closer in size. And I was thinking to myself, you know, most of these other crossovers are either commuter vehicles or you got a couple off-roaders like the Bronco Sport, especially the Bronco Sport Badlands. And I looked at the, um, when I was writing my review the other day, I looked at a Toyota RAV4 fully loaded in the top trim, I believe a limited trim, was about the same price as a GT Plus fully loaded. So, so the GT actually positions itself fairly well against Honda's, or against the Toyota RAV4. The, the, the Honda, I was going to say Honda CRV, but CRV is a bit cheaper, even though fully loaded. So, so if you're looking at a commuter, if you're looking at it from a commuter vehicle, grocery getting perspective, I think the GT Plus would probably be, probably be the one to buy. Uh, the RT, I just felt like it handled really well. It, it didn't feel as much. It didn't feel like there was as much grunt as the numbers would suggest. And then we just talked about that. It could be transmission, could be engine. Power shot helped a little. I, I just don't know if I could p- picture myself paying. I think the I think the RT I drove, I have it right in front of me, was fifty two thousand dollars and change with all the options was fully loaded sure so i'm not sure i could picture well just driving a fifty-two thousand dollars small crossover that has yeah. that doesn't feel super fast yeah no and i mean to give your audience a little bit of perspective too i didn't drive the gt i was there to drive the rt okay. uh just because my audience there mm-hmm. um doesn't care about a gas only car so uh that being said i think there is one thing that's um, maybe we're leaving out in terms of the RT's value because yeah, fifty-two grand is a lot of money, uh, but um, it has a fifteen, uh, fifteen and a half kilowatt hour yes, battery. Yes, fifteen and a half, correct. Mm-hmm. Which, if um, now the car is built in Italy and the in batteries are sourced there and all of that, but um, it should be eligible for leasing to be, to get the whole seventy-five hundred dollar tax incentive. Now, their marketing person on site said that they expect uh, a fifty-fifty take rate between GT and RT, and I think the only way that you get that high of a take rate on RT is you offer a killer lease deal. Since you mm-hmm. can factor that seventy-five hundred dollars into you know their their financing, uh, it may end up being a better deal for somebody that does lease. Now, if you're a buyer, no, it's you're not going to be able to get any of that $7,500. So then it becomes yeah. a, then, then the value seems to kind of get a little yeah, bit and, lost in the shuffle. And again, there's some value in if you're someone who commutes less than 30 miles a day and can plug in every night, there's definitely value there too. Yeah. And if you want something, and if you want something kind of fun that also does that, uh, I think there's some value in there. And also, I mean, if you're interested in an Italian car, I mean, this is an Alfa Romeo Tonale. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the Tonale yeah. will drive a little bit different, but I can't imagine it being that different. For The biggest you know? difference is going to be exterior styling. The Tonale, I think. I actually think the Hornets looks I, – I actually didn't comment on the exterior style of my review just to save some space. But um, I, I didn't – you know, I don't think the Hornet is ugly. But I, mean, I actually think it's kind of, kind of good looking. But the Tonale is better looking. It just is. It has yeah. the Italian styling. And, yeah. Um, but you're right, though. This is a good way to get into an Alfa Romeo at a lower price point. The interior was actually, 
I, so I generally like the interior materials. I actually had an issue with my vehicle. I thought the dash was super hard, and I was going to gonna comment on it, and it turns out that because they were all pre-production units, the one I was driving for most of the morning, had I just got a bad trim piece. The dash was actually harder than the other cars on site for whatever really? reason. came right. off the line that way. Yeah. So early pre-production builds, it's a good thing I asked because I would have said something that wasn't Yeah, you would have been like, yeah, so, no, this is horrible. Yeah. Don't buy this car. Yeah, well, um, I don't think I would have gone that far, but definitely would have said it was, <laughs> the dash was harder than it was, and that would have been untrue. But, um, yeah, no, it was uh, – so the materials are pretty nice. One thing I liked about the Hornet overall is that the materials are the same across the board. So yes. from a base car on up to a fully loaded RT+, Plus, you're getting the same materials. You're getting the same interior layout, which is basically the alpha layout, but a few buttons are moved just to – you know, they move the start-stop button off the steering wheel so that Alfa Romeo can claim that as, as their sole, you know. Sure. Yeah, move it around but otherwise you know i think it's the interior is really nice you connect works really well my only beef is like so many cars now the infotainment screen seems tacked on yeah and also i mean one of their i wanted to praise just because you talked about you know same trim pieces and stuff regardless of which one you get uh dodge is also packaging the option packages the same mm-hmm. for each model so you don't yeah, have to I get like, the I rt you don't have to get the rt if you want like the track the track package with the the Brembo brakes and the twenty inch wheels and and whatever, um, like you you can just kind of get what you want and then decide. Okay, well, do I want the GT or do I want the RT? So yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's clever on their end as well. Not only is it clever, I commend them for doing that because it, it makes it it makes the life easier for the buyer for sure. But it also you know it doesn't force you to make choices you don't want to make. You don't have to buy the higher engine or spend a little extra on a higher trim just to get whatever features in this case, like you said, tech pack, tech package or track package. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can, you, you can get a fully loaded GT and have all the same features or GT plus, excuse me, and have all the same features as an RT plus just with the gas engine instead. I also appreciate for the most part, and this is a little bit of a snow belt bias. You and I both in the Midwest, mm-hmm. I appreciate that all wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. All wheel drive is, is key here. Drive. So I made front-wheel drive standards so you could save some weight if you didn't really fully need all-wheel drive. And a lot of us who live in the Midwest feel like we could get away with front-wheel drive and the right tires through most winters. But oh, sure. if you really yeah, do need all-wheel drive, if you really do need all-wheel drive, it is standard right there for you and not an extra cost. Yeah, and well, and that's what the, that's what the buyers are going to want anyways. Buyers don't want to buy snow tires, even if it's yeah. cheaper. Even if it's cheaper and smarter and safer. Uh, yeah, I, I, just... I'm, a, I'm, I'm of the belief that all-wheel drive is slightly overrated in the snow. I'm not saying it's not helpful, but I'm but I'm not sure. I'm saying it's not necessarily necessary. Well, proper I mean, tires, a front wheel drive vehicle, is we used, in most cases. Back in my days, we used to have proper winners, <laughs> um, and we don't really anymore. So. That's, a, that's the other thing. Uh, you know, we're not recording live, so I'm not going to say exactly what the weather is today. But we're definitely um, very little snow this winter here in Chicago. Very very little. Yeah, and it's been uh, and, and the snow we have had hasn't stuck to the roads for the most part. Right. It's melted instantly. So, you know, all-wheel drive this past couple of winters hasn't seemed very necessary. Well, and they're only going after – Dodge is only going after something like 5% of the market. They said that's sort of like their their dream penetration yeah. of the segment. So, um, yeah, at that point, they're trying to go for the lowest hanging fruit, which is the all-wheel drive buyer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, even without having driven the GT, I think that my – advice would be if you buy go gt if you lease go rt um and i'll be curious to see how the gt uh, glh with the direct connection upgrades yeah drives yeah that'd be curious. Well, be dodge is going curious all in well. on this direct yeah dodge is going all in on this direct connection stuff um i wouldn't be surprised to see it across the whole company's lineup not just hornet and uh the upcoming charger daytona well, what I find interesting, too, is, and I'm glad you mentioned the Charger Daytona, is by coincidence, um, Dodge also had their last call event for the performance car, the, the you know, yeah. heavy Challenger Demon, or Charger, oh, wait, sorry, Challenger, Challenger Demon with, you know, the 1,000 horsepower or whatever. And I just found it funny I, I, about thinking about, like, just the contrast. I just found it funny how Dodge says, well, we're, we're a performance brand, right? We're a performance brand, so we're losing our big V8s on the old platform, so we're going to replace with a performance crossover. And I said, you know, first of all, I'm surprised Dodge has waited this long to get a crossover. And, and I tried asking about it, and 
the uh, the answer I got was basically, well, what's done is done. We can't go back and change it. So whatever. Right. But, yeah. You know, um, I, I was I, I I was just thinking to myself like, like you know, Dodge is trying to create this as this performance crossover and market it that way, but do buyers care? I mean, it's nice that it handles well, and I think yeah, I, I think some enthusiasts are going to care, but I think most crossover buyers just want something that gets decent fuel economy, is safe and reliable. If it's fun to drive, that's a plus. And you know, I I, I don't know if, if Dodge really should be throwing their effort behind the whole performance thing, or just saying, "Hey, this look, we have another alternative crossover to whatever else is out there in the market, and here's its strengths." Right, and so I, guess I it's think sort that, of the same thing. But I think that's a fair assessment too. Um, I, I think a non-enthusiast buyer can still appreciate a fun car, um, mm-hmm. and you know, you, there's all sorts of different ways to make a car fun. Um, yeah, sure. what I would. What I think, though, is, uh, you know, like offering a track package seems a bit ridiculous for a car like this, which has bigger brakes than the 20-inch wheels. Now, I like the look of the 20-inch wheels. Yeah, but, and I like the look of the painted Brumbos. Yeah, but it, nobody's going to go for that. Now, um, you know, the, the bigger sidewalls on a set of 18s, an independent rear suspension, like that's stuff that you can kind of really benefit on that day-to-day just driving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's what probably most people are going to go for, but it doesn't feel, you know, we got so used slash spoiled to Hellcatting everything and these massive performance, uh, products in terms of, you know, horsepower and straight line and all of that. And the demon 170 is, is a cool car. I mean, it, yeah, it yeah. really is, but, uh, what's interesting though is like the hornet's going to be kind of the carryover vehicle to to transition us from you know a thousand horsepower e85 you know ethanol drag strip car to an all-electric um high performance dodge and like this is the bridge vehicle and it doesn't feel i don't know it doesn't feel too bridgy for me no no I, I'm going to push back on you slightly just because with the sure. track pack, there is one mechanical component that I think really does make it worth the money. And that's the dual, the dual mode suspension. Yes. And, and one of the beefs I had with the vehicles and I drove, I actually drove two different GTs, but both were short trips in town. So I didn't get a real, real super. And the second trip was really short, just 10 minutes. But um, one of my beefs with the vehicle, both the RT and the GT, but I think the RT was a little bit worse is they're pretty stiff riding, especially in the morning in the, the urban area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was cold and, you know, urban roads, you know, a little bit of potholes and stuff before you get to the nicer roads out in the forests. And uh, I, I thought that was the one thing that might turn some buyers off, especially casual buyers, is it's a stiff riding vehicle. And if you're not, if, if you're someone who's an enthusiast, that's fine. You, you, you're you making that trade off and you're probably aware of it going in. But if you're not someone who's used to that, that might be a problem. And I kind of thought the dual mode, even though, so this is going to sound a little funny, but the RT I drove had the dual mode, and I thought it was stiff riding. But that being said, I still think the dual mode will will mitigate that a little bit and also make it a better handling vehicle. So I think I would pay for for the dual mode, even if even if it's still stiff riding. It's probably I, I would imagine even a little bit worse without that, and it's, certainly probably handles better. Right, and I mean the one I drove had the dual suspen- the dual mode suspension on it, and yeah, you know the and the and the, tr- the quote unquote track pack doesn't have summer performance tires it's still all season so um it you know just to get the bigger wheels and stuff too i think the car looks definitely looks better with those oh yeah um yeah i don't you know i don't i don't, I don't know what i would buy i mean i kind of find the appeal of leasing an rt maybe um especially if it's a fairly good lease deal because i do like it's i, I do like that it's different than like you know a honda or a toyota um in that sort of regard and you connect works really well and um you know, yeah i like the idea of having a little bit of personality i just feel like uh it's such a weird bridge product because it's not crazy it's not insane it's it's not a kona n um yeah and it's not and, even a charger or a challenger it's a crossover it's not a sedan or a, a two-door coupe. right so it's a little bit different buyer a little bit different use case right but Stellantis doesn't really have anywhere to put that buyer because That's Chrysler true. is what is Chrysler anymore? I don't, I don't know. It's the Pacifica hybrid and the Pacifica and what's left of the 300 for the moment. Yeah. And you know, what's it going to be in the future? It's probably not going to be the airflow. So like, what is, what is Chrysler going to do? Yeah. And Jeep, Jeep, 
Jeep's a different type of a buyer. So yep, um, absolutely. Yeah, so I don't really have a place to put a, a compact crossover that appeals to a, a larger group of people. So, but that but that's a different but that's that's way different than you know Dodge being the performance arm of Stellantis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, give, me a, last... give me a give me a GLH version with hops and crackles <laughs> and a little stiffer suspension. And I don't know. Maybe I'll 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 get on board. Yeah, I, I actually like the way the GLH concept looked. Uh, one last Hornet thought, and then we'll move on to talk about the GMC, the new GMC Hummer. Yep. Um, I, I, I as I drove the the I, I should, let me let me backtrack. As I wrote up my review and as I looked at the specs, looked at the pricing, I really found myself liking the idea of buying a fully loaded Hornet GT a lot better. Partly because of the responsiveness, it did feel lighter on its feet. Mm-hmm. Partly because it's not, you're not giving up that much power. It's still almost 300 pound feet of torque. It's like 295, I believe. It's lighter. Um, I'm sorry? It's lighter. Yeah, it's lighter. It's lighter. I, I just, for $41,000 fully loaded, it didn't, it felt like a performance bargain. And it still has some of the same flaws as the RT. It still rides fairly stiffly. And it's, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, in general, I think the GT is the model I would buy if I was going to buy a Hornet. Uh, fully loaded, but so with, a, with track pack and tech pack. I don't think I would add the other package, the blackout package, just because it's personal preference in terms of looks. Right. Um, you know, there's that. that's all. That's an, uh, an appearance package. And I, I'm, I, I, it does look a little better with it, but I don't think I would feel like I needed it. So I think a tech pack, track pack, GT plus would be the way to go so that's my final thought on the hornet for now and we're going to take a quick break and then come back to talk about gmc hummer Welcome back to the T-Tech Podcast. My name is Tim Healy. I'm a managing editor of The Truth About Cars, and I'm here with Chad Kirchner from EV Pulse. And Chad had the opportunity recently to drive the all-new GMC Hummer, which we have not yet driven at T-Tech. So we're going to pick Chad's brain and see what he thought. And uh, Chad, go ahead and give us an overview. And then as you talk, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do a Q&A when you're done. But go ahead and give us an overview to sort of start us off. Yeah, okay. So um, I was recently in Northern California up in Napa land um, during one of the worst rainy seasons I think that part of the state has ever had. One of my favorite parts of the world right there. Yeah. Um, To drive the Hummer EV SUV. So uh, the truck came out last year. The SUV is starting to hit dealerships now-ish. And it is basically the pickup truck. Now some interesting tidbits. Uh, It's a little bit shorter. The wheelbase is a little bit shorter, so instead of having um, twenty a twenty four module battery pack, it has a twenty module battery pack, which means uh, you get eight hundred and thirty horsepower instead of the full thousand. Uh, but it's shorter. It still has uh, four wheel steering. It still has watts to freedom. It still is massive. It still is really in your face, and it's a polarizing vehicle. You either like the Hummer or you don't, and it's even polarizing in the EV community because you would think, oh, well, it's an EV, so it should be great, but it's also an EV that is not efficient. So uh, the Hummer EV SUV, which I'll just continue from this point to refer to as Hummer, this one gets uh, roughly 300 miles of range on the the edition one that we drove. And it has a peak charging rate of right around 300 kilowatts. Now, that's all because the battery pack is actually a bit smaller. So the way Altium works, and the cool thing about Altium is they can make it bigger or smaller depending on what vehicle they want, just by putting in these adding or removing modules. So it's real simple that way. But the smaller the battery pack, the less sort of voltage and everything, all sorts of electrical stuff, um, can affect both output as well as charging speed. So still a, still a fast charger, still whatever. Um, inside, it feels exactly like the Hummer, the truck. The main difference uh, in this regard is instead of there being a bed with a mid-gate, there's no mid-gate, and it's just a SUV body style. So those are the top-note differences. Um, in driving, though, it is incredibly different, at least I thought so, in that 
the edition one ships in the SUV with a, a street package. It's 22 inch wheels and it's all terrain tires. There is an extreme off-road package, which drops you to 18-inch wheels, but gives you mud terrain tires. That's the same setup that comes on the truck. So long story short, having all-terrain tires and no mid-gate, this truck is a lot quieter than the the first Hummer. The road noise is kept to a reasonable minimum. Uh, there's more sound deadening in the back because there's no mid gate, so you get a little, you know, you get a lot less road noise. There seems to be less wind noise than wind around the the removable top pieces, which I think GM's sl- been privately kind of working on or secretly kind of working on for a while. Um, it, it, compared to the pickup truck, it feels like a Rolls Royce inside in terms of noise. Now it's not that quiet. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. the quietness alone is a noticeable difference. You can carry on a normal conversation in the SUV where you would have to talk pretty loudly in the truck at at speeds higher than California speed limits. Um, because it's also a little bit shorter, you still get the uh, 10 degrees of rear wheel steering. So the turning circle is, I think, 35.4 feet, which is equivalent to a Chevy Spark, which is kind of wild in downtown san francisco because the truck is so wide that narrow streets are still a pain in the butt but if you want to do a u-turn you can just do u-turns anywhere and it's it's a little wild <laughs> with that <laughs> um you still get crab luck uh which you know gimmick or not it's cool to show off to your friends uh the interior materials are the same as the truck which means they're a little plasticky they look expensive some are pretty plasticky to the touch nowhere near early 2000s plastic fantastic gm but that is definitely one of the areas where they did some cost cutting but uh gm's new android based infotainment system works very well it supports wireless carplay and android auto it uses unreal engine for all the graphics there's a whole space theme moon landing space theme going on and um super cruise 2.0 is there which does automatic lane changing and all of the the fun stuff that Super Cruise does, and Super Cruise is the best hands, definitely the best hands off driver assistance software out there, and if not one of the best overall driving assistance systems in the business, including Tesla. Tesla's so, going to ask a couple of questions here. Tesla's um, not that good. Yeah, no, from what I've heard, it's not. Uh, I, I've my Super Cruise experience is very limited, but Super Cruise so far seems pretty good. So, my my first question, you touched on this just a little bit during your overview, so. In fact, I think the first thing you said, you touched on it, so it, it may be a little bit repetitive. I hope not too much, but mm-hmm. from what I read in the reviews and from what I saw on social media from from our colleagues, the the sense I got was that the new Hummer is an electric version of the old one, meaning it's, as you said, inefficient and big and heavy, and and it's like, okay, it's an EV, so it's not burning fossil fuels, but it's still not really using its energy efficiently. And I guess right. you sort of already touched on that, but it, it definitely feels like everything I read suggests that it's really a step back uh, to the past. It's just an EV powertrain. Is that a fairly accurate descriptor? I mean, I don't know if I would consider it a step back. However, if your listeners were around during the original Hummer, uh, that car was not well received by a lot of people because of how inefficient it was. Um, this truck, this SUV in this case, uh, according to GMC, is designed to be a showcase of its technical ability in terms of off-roading and uh, SUV stuff and not supposed to be a technical featuring of their efficiency. Um, there'll be other cars in their lineup for that. Is that a bit of a cop-out answer? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and you know, to get to get a you know eight or nine thousand pound vehicle to get three hundred miles of range, you just have to put a big old battery in it. And this one's lighter, so we GM hasn't said publicly yet, but it's somewhere around we guess one hundred and seventy kilowatt hours or so. Which is still, which is still massive. No, no, this car is gonna is as is as polarizing as the first Hummer. Um, it's definitely designed to be Brodozer. Its competition, I would say, is the Ford Raptor R, the TRX. I would even argue that the um, G Wagon is a bit of a competitor because nobody buys G Wagons for 
efficiency. They buy them to show off, to stunt. And that's what a Hummer is for. It's to stunt. It's what a TRX is for. It's to stunt. And um, Hummer does a very good job at, job at it. It just it's powered by electricity. Now, in terms of the environmental mission, I suppose if one person buys a Hummer EV over a Raptor, you're going to have a net positive for the environment. But this is not this car is not designed to save the world and they're selling it in so little volume that it ultimately doesn't matter yeah i was actually just about to ask and it's kind of funny you brought up the g-wagon i was going to ask who the buyer is you know is it just the rich wealthy person who's going to show off and that, that that's my suspicion it's not going to be yep. the off-roader or the ev buyer i have a feeling it's going to be the the same person who buys a G-Wagon, right? A celebrity yeah. who lives in Beverly Hills. You yep. know? GM says the combined household income of a Hummer EV SUV buyer, at least under reservation holders, is 335000 which actually was a bit lower than I thought it would be, to be honest. That's still a bunch of money. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, that's, but, that, um, nice. but, you know, but a portion on 11 buyer is somewhere in the 700000 for average household income. So... Um, in some ways, this car is a bit more appealing to a larger group of people. But the truck I drove was 105000 And I can tell you, I don't have $105,000. And even if I did, I couldn't get one because all of the edition ones are already sold out. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, this, actually... yeah this, this truck's, this truck's or car is to show off. It's to stunt. It's to, you know, maybe you'll take it off-road. Maybe you won't. But... You do you feel like you are driving? You feel like you're king of crap mountain since I don't know <laughs> if we're allowed to curse. So um, we are we are in limited. This is a clean podcast in, in terms of how we list it, but a few a few bad words here and there are probably not going to affect that. Too well, much. I'll leave it as either crap or poop mountain then, because I mean, you feel like you feel like a just king driving this thing um, until you have to what? go down a narrow narrow street. <laughs> That actually brings up my next question is yeah. if you had the money and it was just a simple pass fail, yes, no, would you buy it? Yeah, I would, I'd buy the SUV over the truck for sure. It's a much nicer experience. And honestly, I, I'm i kind of into brodozers. I hate to admit it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of hate to admit it, but I'm kind of into them. And if you want sort of, you know, nobody else is doing an EV brodozer and General Motors isn't doing a real proper high performance truck anyway because zr2 while is very good it's not raptor good or trx good so you know general motors is sort of like no here this is this ev is our player in this in this field and yeah so i probably if i had the money i probably would cool cool that makes sense uh i i i look forward to driving it and and getting you know, my own opinions and impressions, but for now we'll uh, keep picking your brain. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, it's, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of a truck that, or in this case, truck and SUV. That's an EV that is also so inefficient and so big, but right. I'll be curious to see how it is once I get a chance to drive it. And so um, with that, we'll kind of wrap the Hummer talk for right now. And we're going to come back. Um, we typically don't do a ton of breaking news in this podcast because it's we're not exactly live, but we're well, not live at all. But we're uh, we, we do want to hit on something that I think will be still resonating around the news when the, when we do uh, actually release the podcast and episode in a, in a few days. So we're going to talk about Ford and what's happening with their EV business when we when we return. So again, uh, my name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor for the Truth About Cars, and I'm here with Chad Kirchner from EV Pulse, and we'll be right back to talk about Ford. Okay, we're back in the T-TAC podcast, Truth About Cars. My name is Tim Healy, the managing editor of Truth About Cars, here with Chad Kirchner from EV Pulse. And we were talking, we spent our first segment on the all-new Dodge Hornet, and we talked about the GMC Hummer truck and SUV just a little bit. And now we're going to finish off with uh, what would be, if we were alive, this would be breaking news, sort of. But we, um, this podcast is pre-recorded, and just being in the spirit of full transparency. But this news, I think, is something that we'll be talking about for a couple of weeks. So we, by the time that you hear this, 
it, it should still be fresh news to contemplate because it's something that every automaker is going to be going through, especially large automakers like Ford. And so without a, without any further ado and any further teasing, so Ford announced that it, it plans to lose about $3 billion this year on its electric vehicle business unit. And for those who don't remember, Ford has actually split their business into three units. One is uh, Mobile E, or excuse me, Model E, or it's electric vehicles. One is Blue, so your traditional combustion vehicles. And then one is Pro, so that's commercial vehicles and stuff like that. Um, so Ford's looking at projected loss, and they revealed that to investors. And their shares actually went up, at least, at least initially. Obviously, that could change, so I'm not going to talk about numbers there. But... Um, you know, it sounds like what Ford is saying is it sounds like they're going to have a loss up front and then they expect eventually to have profit as soon as the end of next year. So the end of 2024 with the F-150 Lightning and Mustang Mach-E. So essentially it's one of those things where, okay, we're going to lose money up front, but make a profit down the line. And Chad, I don't know if you kind of interpreted that the same way. As as a small business owner, I can appreciate the uh, <laughs> burning through money. Um, no, so I have this writer's story up, which I'm sure you'll link to either in the show notes or wherever you do. Yeah, that's what I've been using as my, my but, uh, as well. Um, the headline, of course, is Ford sees $3 billion pre-tax loss. And I'm sure that your audience loves to hear about things like pre-tax and uh, EBITDA and all of that. Uh, but I think the big takeaway is it takes a lot of money to convert your business from one that's heavily focused on internal combustion to a unit that is um, EV focused and doing that during an extremely difficult financial time for the entire country you know world in a lot of ways you know are we in a recession interest rates are up you know there's all these other things that uh it it's just costing ford a lot of money to do this and the reuters article states that their cumulative three-year loss from 2021 through the end of this year will be at six billion dollars which is uh that's real money um uh-huh. and you know some of that comes from argo ai not them bailing on that and taking a loss on their Rivian investment and whatever. But uh, I don't you got to spend money to make money. Look, I don't necessarily feel like this is a bad thing because we all know that Tesla took a very, very long time and burnt through a lot of money before it could get close to anywhere near what it is today. And to do that is, I mean, to do that for another automaker, they're going to have to, they're going to have to take that hit. Um, yeah. Now, one thing that they do mention, it's a little vague, at least in this Forbes article, or not Forbes, I'm sorry, in this Reuters article, is it says the company expects its first generation EVs, including the F-150 Lightning and Mustang Mach-E, to be profitable on a pre-tax basis by the end of 2024. So I don't think that it's, they're looking for the the Model E to be pre-tax profitable. I think they're talking about their first generation EVs, which right now is all of what Model E is. But... Mm-hmm. We all know they're spending a bunch of money in Tennessee, yes, for their new Blue Oval City, um, which is this massive facility that's going to build the next generation Lightning, uh, a next generation, I believe, um, uh, Ford's second generation electric truck. Um, They're going to build some of the other EV stuff, like they're doing battery assembly there. Like this is going to be i hate the term gigafactory but like this is ford's massive u.s investment in in evs so they're taking all that financial hit now because a contractor won't wait until you're profitable to (laughs) to 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 demand payment so correct yeah yeah oh i you know it's a good headline it's like oh my gosh you have three billion loss and i'm sure and we all know the youtubers but i'm sure there'll be some out there um scotty kilmer included that will uh sensationalize that and be like this is a horrible idea um but before i think we talk a little bit more about some details if you want to get into that i think what this should tell your audience is that 
Yes. Um, I'll admit full disclosure. Like I work for an EV site. I own an EV site. Um, I try to be cautiously skeptical of, uh, you know, any of this stuff though. Um, I'm not saying that EVs are the best situation, you know, the best vehicle in every situation, but I know there's a lot of folks out there that say, well, this whole EV thing is a fad that it's not going to take off that it's not whatever. The thing is industry wide, there's been over, I think, a trillion and a half dollars already put into uh, automakers converting to EV. The legislation in Europe, especially in Europe and Asia, is forcing the hand for a lot of these automakers. Ford at this point is pot committed, to use a, ter- to use a poker term. There is there's no going back. They're not going to say, oh, whoops, you know, these EVs, they're not going to work. Let's go back to making, you know, supercharged V8s. It's... It's not going to happen, whether you like it or not. And right, um, seeing you know Ford, quote unquote, lose this much money, it's you know, it's an investment, and they're going to want to recoup that, and they wouldn't be spending this money if there was any possibility of EVs not being the future. Now we could argue, oh, certain sports cars and stuff like that will probably be gas forever, and the transition will probably be slower than what the automakers are projecting and what the industry is oh, projecting. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, you're not going to have all EVs on the road by the end of this decade, for example. No, not but, even by 2035, in my opinion. But, 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 but the, the horse left the barn, you know, and pun intended. I think, I, I think stories, things. yeah, yeah. Um, that was actually unintentional, but thank you. Um, so it's, it's always, it, it's going to happen now. Who's going to be the most successful at it? Is losing $3 billion a, a year um, sustainable long-term? Probably not. But as the company can make stuff cheaper, quantities of scale comes into play. Yeah, and just to kind of circle back to how you began that, um, I agree that you have to spend money to make money. And I think also if you look at Ford's strategy, Ford went with, Ford didn't try to re- Ford didn't really try, at least in my opinion. They, they'll they'll disagree with me, if I'm sure, but they didn't try super hard to make a mainstream EV that was going to cost thirty thousand dollars, but maybe you only got two hundred miles of range or one hundred fifty miles of range. They didn't they didn't try to do a Nissan Leaf. They didn't try and do a Prius or or anything like that. Or or I know Prius isn't fully EV, but you know what I mean. But or like, Bolt, for example, yeah, they didn't try and do a, a, a Bolt or um or a Toyota BZ. They went for a Mustang Mach-E, which is essentially a crossover Mustang that has some performance chops and also, well, I say Mustang, this is a Mustang name really, but um, it's, it's not an inexpensive vehicle, especially if you want decent range. It's, it's on the entry luxury side of things. The F-150 Lightning can be inexpensive if you keep it low on options, but well-equipped as an expensive truck. Mm -hmm. So Ford kind of said, it seems strategic to me, they they basically said like we're gonna go in with what people want or what we think people want. And if it costs mm-hmm. more and if it means getting only high end buyers at first, fine. <laughs> but that might make right. it. You know, I don't know the. I'm, I could get my math wrong, but so I, I want to be careful here. But it definitely seems like that's a, a recipe for not a lot of profit up front. I mean, yes, maybe a ninety thousand dollar truck individually is profitable, but it. You're not going to get a lot of profit on volume, at least right up front. And then, right. I, and I've never been great at economics, so if I'm getting this completely wrong, stop me. But, um, you know, it, it seems like they were like, okay, well, we'll take the hit to have the flagships up front, and then as the technology gets better and as the cost comes down, then maybe we can get a cheaper Mach-E or a cheaper EV or a cheaper Lightning. It, so it almost seems like Ford was going to make a splash headline-wise, and mm-hmm. and. To be fair, the Mach E is a really good vehicle. The ones I've the ones I've driven, I really liked. Mm-hmm. I had the F one hundred and fifty Lightning, uh, you know, a while back, and I really liked liked it. But it was also a ninety thousand dollar well equipped truck. Yeah, also true. Yeah, so I feel like Ford is kind of starting with the trickle down uh, approach, Get halo vehicles, and then kind of as the technology improves, as range improves, as charging improves, as they can build them, as it as they learn how to spend less money to build them, then we'll start seeing a little more mainstream EVs. I don't know if I'm off base on that or not, but I can see 
I can see how that would cost them money up front. Put a lot of money into developing desirable EVs, and then maybe you can't make the profit sure. back on volume right away. No, you're. I mean, I think your economics is spot on here. You know, you're gonna have to spend. You have to spend money to build these plants and to source this raw material and to do all of these things. And that all amount is a fixed cost up front. You know, and then it becomes a, it becomes a sunk cost. And how do you how do you recoup that lost money? Well. If you if you right out of the door are trying to sell a car that barely makes a profit, then it's going to take you so many more cars to kind of get up to speed. Starting with a higher higher margined product allows you to do a couple things. Yeah, you won't sell as many, but you're still going to make more money per vehicle, and you're learning as you're going. Early adopters tend to forgive mistakes more than mainstream mm-hmm. buyers, so you can go through a bit of a learning process. Early adopters are the ones that are probably willing to spend more money for joining the cause or joining the mission. And then by the time, you know, volume, by the time Ford has, quote unquote, figured all of this out, then the more mainstream cars will be more affordable, more profitable for the company. Now, Mach E really was at launch making money for Ford um, per vehicle sold. There was, there was a, you know, a positive uh, cash flow. Now the sunk costs still haven't been recouped, but they were, they were making money per car. And unfortunately battery lithium prices going up and everything else uh, recently has, has caused that to change. But, you know, Ford's is starting to use LFP batteries. That's going to be one of the key things of this new plant that they're building. LFP is, it's not ideal. It's less energy dense, but it's also way cheaper. And for inexpensive models, uh, LFP is the way to go. Tesla's doing it on their base Model 3. I expect Ford to do it on a, a more entry-level Mach-E or you know, some smaller car that is that they haven't announced yet. Um, because ultimately, these cars need to become more affordable. We're just in such an early stage that there's everybody that has money and wants to be an early adopter are comfortable paying a hundred thousand dollars for a pickup truck. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. And I, I actually am curious to see how Ford follows the Maki and the lightning as, as exciting as those two products are Ford doesn't off the top of my head, have a real mainstream EV. They don't have a bolt. They don't have no, Nissan Aria. They, they don't have, they tried, they, they tried had, they had a, a while ago when the range wasn't quite there. Yeah. But they don't. They don't have anything currently that that you know would be under forty thousand, under fifty thousand dollars. I think that... Ford's biggest concern should be outside from outside of Tesla is I think they should be concerned with what the Koreans are doing because mm-hmm. the Ionic yeah, Five, yeah, because uh, you know Ionic Five is fantastic. Um, I, I just drove the, the Ionic Six. Can't talk about it, but I just drove it. Um, I drove the GV70, which is also fantastic. The electrified one of those. like, And the Koreans can build smaller cars less, exp- you know, less expensive. So Ford kind of got out of the small car and car business because they wanted to go to pivot to higher margins per vehicle. And trucks are obviously where the highest margins are. Um, but maybe Ford doesn't even get back into the affordable EV race. Maybe mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, a performance brand in terms of like Mustang, Mach-E, whether or not it's a Mustang, we can argue that, but, you know, with Mach-E being more performance focused uh, and with Lightning being their truck and Lightning is a very good truck, even at the base pro level, it is a fantastic automobile. So, you know, maybe they don't do the inexpensive cars, but I, I tell you what, I don't see, I don't see the Japanese building the cheap EVs soon enough. We won't have Chinese cars here. I mean, the Chinese are there, but we won't have them here. Um, so I feel like the Koreans have a real opportunity to come in and and really make some groundwork, ground up in affordable EVs. Because it can't just be the Bolt and the Leaf. The Leaf is, is old at this point. The Bolt's tech is, is fairly old. Um, I like the Bolt's a lot. You can get it with Super Cruise. But... Uh, and and to kind of pivot back to that uh, discussion we had first thing about the Hornet, like if you want a, a green focused vehicle with a decent amount of range, it's almost ten grand cheaper to get a Bolt over a Hornet RT. So buy the Bolt. But yeah, mm-hmm. I you know all these companies are going to lose money 
it's it's going to happen. Um, I wish I could afford to lose three billion dollars. I can't, but I think that if we come back in a year or two, you know, you're going to see forward on the profitable side of things. Maybe they haven't recouped all the money they spent, but you know, it's not about business. Is always about cash flow and it's a lot easier to get to cash flow positive than it is to pay off all your debts. And I feel like Ford's strategy on electrification, it's a big hit up front. GM's is going to be the same way. This massive hit up front. But but long-term, they're going to be fine. Excellent. All right, Chad, thank you for your time. I, uh, I much appreciate it. I'll have you on again for sure. We are about to wrap it up here on the T-Tech podcast. Before you, we go, Chad, can you tell people yeah. how to find your stuff? So, um... Again, thank you for having me on. And like I said, I appreciate talking about this stuff all the time. And it also is a good excuse to avoid all of the mountains of work I have to do. So, yay. Um, EVPulse.com is the website. We're EVPulse on YouTube. We've been doing a fairly big YouTube effort lately. Uh, me and Craig Cole, uh, a former vertical scoper from back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, are you know trying to drive EVs and, pl- and plugins. And we're trying to do it from an approach that's a little bit more practical and a little bit more reasonable. For example, I think if you live in an apartment, an EV is probably not right for you right now. Right. So right. you know, not a lot of EV journalists will tell you that. But I feel like that's... So we, we, we approach electrification in a very pragmatic way, I think. But ultimately Excellent. it's happening and you know, um I think you guys do I think you guys also do very practical coverage. And yes, we try to try to be just very pragmatic and yeah, and I think there needs to be a little bit less hype. It's something to get excited about though. There's some really good EVs out there that yeah, I would encur- yeah. that I would encourage your listeners, like if they're like, Oh no, these are just overpriced golf carts, I don't know, go give one a try. Maybe you'll like yeah. it. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. There's, there's a few. There's, I feel like there's a little bit too much hype in some circles, and a little bit too much uh, Debbie Downer in other circles. So, mm-hmm. I, I think you know EVs are like any other technology. They should be looked at with nuance, and you should look at pros and cons and trade offs. Um, so I think you know any 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 automotive journalist who is overhyping EVs or, for lack of a better word, pooping on EVs, I think is doing readers a disservice. So we. Um, we always try and be honest and, and just, just as we would with internal combustion engines or hydrogen fuel cell or any other technology or any other type of vehicle, just try and look at the pros and the cons. So with that, again, check out Chad's stuff at EV Pulse and uh, evpulse.com. Yes. evpulse.com. Thank you. And then check us out at the truthaboutcars.com or ttech.com. You can spell it out, truthaboutcars, or you can type in ttac.com. Uh, and check out our stuff again. I'm Tim Healy, the managing editor, and we thank Chad Kirchner for his time. And we will see you on the next podcast. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you for reading. Bye, everybody.